Hello everybody, this is Xi Xiao. This is yet another episode of Salesforce Web Podcast. Today I'm sitting with a great guest with me. His name is Daniel Peter. Hello, Daniel. Hi, Xi. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Very nice to uh, be here. Thank you for having me. This uh, community is, is so great. I'm excited to see another podcast. So Yeah, cool. Would you like to still introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, Daniel Peter. I'm a Salesforce MVP. My day job is I'm the Salesforce practice lead at Robots and Pencils. I also I run the Bay Area Salesforce developer group here. I live near San Francisco. And I've I got 27 cert- Salesforce certifications. <laughs> yeah, usually I don't want any more comment about the number of certificates because a lot of my <laughs> guests have like over 20 or something, but 27, it's really a number. Yeah, hopefully 30 soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. And, uh, you know, one thing that's really big in my mind is uh, you are the uh, developer group lead in Bay Area. That's uh, the heart of the, you know, the, the Salesforce headquarters. I don't know how many Salesforce developers are really part of that, that group. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, actually, uh, a little piece of trivia, this mm-hmm. group used to be the only group. And in fact, uh, we're coming up on a 10-year anniversary. I haven't been running the group for 10 years. But 10 years ago, there was one, like, Salesforce group. There wasn't even an admin group or different types of groups. There was just, like... The Salesforce, maybe they called it a user group, and it was everything. Mm. And I think when it first started, it was actually run by Salesforce, but then it ultimately oh. kind of became a community-led thing and so forth. So we're the we have the title of the oldest group, and at one time we were the only group in the world. And I've been <laughs> running it for over three years now, and we're so spoiled because all the product managers, architects, everybody that works at <laughs> Salesforce is right there so we we have no trouble getting guests uh so yeah pretty pretty spoiled and i've met so many great people through this group so it's been a great experience for me yeah that's cool so so daniel today we have you on the podcast mainly to talk about dreamforce 19 which has just happened and you participated there and you attended a lot of uh, sessions and I think you are fitting this seat better than many other guests is that uh, you really have pain points and you really see those announced developer-related you know, features that you see, okay, how it really solves your pain point in your daily job. And that's really like a match here. And I don't only want people to say, okay, this is a feature A, that's a feature B, but why do we have it? What problems does it solve? I think that's more important. Yeah. Yeah, it's mm. great. You know, Salesforce is, a, is an awesome platform, but uh, it's a mix of some good and some bad things. And, you know, a lot of this pain, uh, the developers feel, maybe the end users don't. They say, oh, just make this thing work. But then developers have to do all this hard work of working uh, around the different limitations of the platform. Yeah. See, I've been doing this for the past 10 years. And, you know, sometimes you could say the developers are the last one to get the love. Uh, not always, <laughs> but so we're finally yeah. getting some love. And I think it's great. We have people like Chris Peterson and Andy Fawcett at Salesforce now who have been in that role. Mm. Now they're taking all their pain they've had over the years 
and fixing these things and giving it back to the community now that they're working at Salesforce. So I think we're seeing a lot of that, the outcomes yeah. of that. So it's a pretty exciting time to, to be a developer and to hear the announcements coming from Salesforce related to these things. Yeah, that's cool. So how should we start? So I understand you bring multiple points to our table. Yeah, there's there was an overwhelming amount of announcements at Dreamforce, and there's no way I'm even going to cover a fraction of a <laughs> of them. So I'm just uh, highlighting a few things, um, maybe six or so things that I think are the most interesting from developer standpoint. Somebody's been in the ecosystem a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but realize that uh, probably it would take weeks of full-time study just to catch up on all the announcements from Dreamforce. (laughs) Yeah, So many things announced there, yeah. Mm, So which one do you think we should start with? Yeah, um, I think Lightning base components being open-sourced is a cool way to open it up. Okay. Um, So Lightning base components are awesome. I mean, folks who have used them for Aura, for Lightning web components, realize what an accelerator they are you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like uh the almost like the clicks before code kind of approach but for a developer so they can mention one line of code which will ultimately build out maybe hundreds of lines or thousands of lines of code for them so it's mm. it's huge and i think if you think about that 80 20 rule maybe 80 percent of the time um these base components will solve your requirement but that remaining 20 yeah. percent uh, maybe the customer needs this thing to work just a little bit differently. So yeah. previously, if they needed that, we would have to make this thing from scratch. So you'd have to almost just throw away the base component, yeah. create something from scratch. So the fact I've, that these are I've, open source now, so yeah. Yeah, this is well, actually <laughs> this is really good point. For example, a lot of my colleagues they're working on Lightning Table. And uh, and whenever they need to do a bit more tailored uh, customization, then the Lightning Table doesn't fit. You really need to throw it away and start from scratch. Use some third-party uh, table, JavaScript, to really build things up. This is really yeah, a good and point. It, uh, is and if it you think covering, about what we... Go ahead. Yeah, is it only covering the uh, Lightning Web component or also the, the Aura component as well? Yeah, this is the announcement was around Lightning Web Components. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. I, I yeah. didn't even know that. It, you know, I didn't attend yeah. to the Dreamforce. Yeah, I think perhaps all along the Aura-based mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, base components were actually Lightning Web Components under the covers. But okay. uh, I think I heard. Yeah, I think I heard that. Um, okay. But it's it's exciting just to go to this GitHub repo and look at how Salesforce built these things. So mm-hmm. if you had some questions, am I building light, Lightning Web Components right or not? Well, now you can look at the you know flagship uh, release. Uh, this is Salesforce's version of Lightning Web Components, so this should be like best practices and things like that. So you can actually use this as a very advanced example to learn from. That's cool. You know. Yeah. Yeah, how should, how should I construct it? How should I format it? How should mm-hmm. I name my variables? All these kinds of things. So mm. it's great yeah. for that. And yeah, I think we start to really embrace a lot, a lot more of open sourced repositories. We just mm-hmm. had the Lightning Web component open source, and then now we have Lightning Base components. That's a lot yeah. of good examples. We will put the, the link down in our show notes just for our listener to check. 
Sure. And and I'll be excited to see not only people that have to grab these things and extend them, but Mm -hmm. also after they've extended them, uh, how do they contribute them back? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, because... And that's a kind of a spirit I don't see happening a lot in Salesforce ecosystem. It's a large mm-hmm. scale. I know like uh, smart people like you and like many of other uh, senior developers, you have the spirit. But a lot of people around me, like my level of experience, mm-hmm. it's still a thing we're learning, right? Some of them are shy to, to really share their crappy code. Some of them just don't think it's, it's a good way to share. They don't think people will use it, you know? Yeah, there's there is a and a lot of the enterprise software you're building this stuff that's very cool for mm-hmm. a customer or client. And maybe you're not sure uh, is there an intellectual property issue? Can I share exactly. it back out? That kind of stuff. Exactly. So. Yeah, yeah. And also, yeah. I see that to abstract or split away from your customer data. That's a really mm-hmm. powerful skill. That's not every, all mm-hmm. the developers can do. So that's something yeah. that people can practice, right? And it takes extra time. You make a copy for the customer and another copy that's more generic and extensible for future yeah. projects. But I, I do see some people doing it. It's a very good way to build awareness of yourself or your company in mm-hmm. a way where you're giving all this value back. Yeah. Uh, so there is a return on that investment. You do show yourself as a thought leader in the space by giving this out there, maybe people get that particular component for free from you. Mm-hmm. But the next time they need something that they can't figure out, they'll say, well, they built this. Maybe we can hire them to build this other thing. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> indeed. Personal branding stuff. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I understand this a big announcement also from Andy Fawcett. And it was uh, retweeted so many times <laughs> that everybody in Salesforce ecosystem have seen that. It's the Salesforce Evergreen platform. Yes. Could you brief us what what is that and and what problems does it really solve for us? Yeah, this is this is a huge one. I mean, I think it's probably the biggest announcement that I've seen in the ten years I've been working on the platform. Um, so essentially, you know, the elevator pitch, you could say it's like AWS Lambda for Salesforce. Um, you know, most people know what Lambda is, or mm-hmm. at least. Uh, they know serverless, you know, different platforms. I think Lambda is the most popular one. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, Andy Fawcett solved this uh, at Financial Force, or I think him and some team members helped solve it. They created this open source platform called Orizuru, which was based on Heroku, and it was a way to kind of connect, you know, do a lot of that tedious plumbing between Salesforce and Heroku so you could do things kind of like serverless, but it's not the same thing. Um, okay. But it, it it was similar. So I'm sure that informed the product direction for Evergreen, you know, because okay. he actually built something like that. When I was working at Canandy, we had to build these things also. We used both Heroku mm-hmm. and Lambda. Why do we need to build the, the off-platform? I mean, what? why is that? Yeah. I know there's at least two big reasons. There's probably more smaller reasons. The two big reasons... One is just pure governor limits. You're very limited with the amount of resources you get for a transaction on Salesforce. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that's pretty much the bane of all developers' existences. Like, uh, I could build this thing so easy, but it hits a CPU timeout, so yeah. now I have to yeah. 
tweak make it around. Make the batch job yeah. or do something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other big one besides governor limits is the availability of libraries. So uh, there's pretty much anything you can imagine you might want to build exists mm-hmm. already uh, on NPM. So some very yeah. fancy things like binary file manipulation, a lot of algorithms, you know, mm-hmm. any type of text manipulation you want to do. Um, a lot of developers have had to re-implement these things on Apex. And again, number one, you're reinventing the wheel. This has already been done in an open source fashion on NPM. It's yeah. very stable. You're porting it. You're probably maybe going to have some bugs. Who knows? But then also, yeah. you'll probably hit those governor limits again. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you're, you know, if you're doing something complex. So, those are the two okay. main reasons. And mm-hmm. um, if you can think about um, the architecture of Heroku, it's pretty complex because you have to end up building something like a queuing mechanism. You know, you kind of almost have to build your own multi-tenant infrastructure on top of Heroku. Depends if you're doing it for a single customer or if you're an ISV with a product with multiple customers all using your architecture. Mm-hmm. But it's not trivial at all. I mean, you know, it's serious. You need to hire like multiple full-time people to build and maintain this type of yeah. architecture usually. Yeah. And it's it's not just uh, building it, it's a maintaining it. You know, you need to restart services if they go down and tune it and scale it and things like this. And that's yeah. where Lambda solved a lot of the problem because you didn't have to build all that infrastructure. You had like infinite scale in parallel. You know, you didn't have to build the queuing mechanisms. You didn't have to build the multi-tenancy. Um, so Lambda was a little bit, I would say, better model in that sense. But there was still a lot of plumbing to be done okay. to get the data back and forth between Salesforce and Lambda. Um, so this. It's extremely exciting and promising, but I would say uh, we need to get our hands on it to know the real story. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) to to wait for it to get matured. Yeah, I think the biggest uh, the biggest question in my mind is how is the pricing model going to work? I'm sure it's not just going to be some free thing you get as part Mm. of the platform. So we'll see how that okay how that shakes out. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Salesforce Way Podcast is all the time looking for both guests and topics. If you have guest recommendation or any topics you'd like to listen to, don't hesitate to let me know. My Twitter, LinkedIn, and the email information is at the end of the show notes of each episode. You can also find it on the salesforceway.com website. I really, really, really need help from you on this matter because only you, my lovely listeners, know what yourself want. So please help me invite great guests to talk on great topics so that we spread great knowledge. Now let's get back to the show. Um. Do we already know the high-level modeling, how the Salesforce and the Evergreen platform communicate one with another? Is it uh, by this event model, this uh, subscriber with a publisher and subscriber model? Yeah. Yeah. So um, 
they have announced some of the details of this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I know Andy Fawcett was a big proponent of unit of work, so that's a part of this that enforces some best practices in terms of kind of getting your, you know, almost the bulkification thing where you're doing uh, fewer updates. You know, ideally one update at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's something um, that uh, they announced that I've been researching. Uh, I hadn't heard of it before. But uh, I think it's called Web Events, which is kind of a generic name, so it's a little bit hard to Google for. But um, mm-hmm. you know, this is this is a way to have uh, some metadata around an event and also some data. Um, so kind of a wrapper around um, you know the message you need to give to mm-hmm. Evergreen to perform the action, along with the data it needs to do its job. So. Okay. It'll be curious to learn more about that. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, actually, it's not called web event. It's called cloud event. Sorry. Okay, okay. Um, cloud event, uh, yeah. Right. So I'm curious to learn more about that. But uh, essentially, you know, the, 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 it does Java and it and it does uh, Node.js. I'm most excited about Node.js. I've been appreciating that method of programming more lately, mostly because of how easy you can do like the parallel processing, you know, the non-blocking IO. I just love that. Uh-huh. I, I feel like it's higher performance than Java. For, maybe it's just mm. my perception, but okay. Um, for, say from Node.js, you can run basically like a SQL query and do the equivalent of like you know the same type of stuff you would do in Apex, the the queries mm-hmm. and the DMLs from within JS uh, without you know you're not having to create a token and do an API call and parse a result and all that. It's feels very native to JavaScript. So okay. that's pretty exciting. That plumbing is all handled for you. That's cool. Yeah. Let's wait for the evergreen platform gets more information published. Then we, we can study more. There is also another very interesting point uh, announced is that uh, now when we do the SQL queries, we can do with this with security enforced. So what what yeah. is that about? So yeah, I think a lot of customers maybe haven't had this pain, but ISVs definitely have. Um, so this is probably another great. Uh, contribution from like Chris Peterson and Andy Fawcett because they had to build all this stuff. But mm-hmm. essentially the platform runs in system mode most of the time, you know, unless maybe you're using like a standard controller. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize this, but you might have a very limited user, but when they run that Apex, it's actually got full access to the platform. And this mm-hmm. is a good thing in many cases because you actually want them mm-hmm. uh, to have that full access because it's under the control of your code. Mm-hmm. But if you're not careful, your code may expose that in a way you didn't intend and things like this. So yeah. what uh, to, to get an app on the App Exchange, you actually had to be very explicit about how you're handling either scenario, whether you're limiting their system mode access or granting them full access. And if you are granting them full access, you had to do it in a way in which they couldn't use it any way they want, you know, it just does this one specific task. It doesn't let okay. them, it doesn't open up the ability to query everything that they don't have access to. Okay. So essentially, um, you had to write custom code that would do things like object describes, field describes, and say, does this user have access to this object? Do mm-hmm. they have read access? Do they have update access? You know, CRUD, CRUD level access. And then you would say, well, 
If they don't, what do I want to do? Do I want to throw an exception? Do I want to just drop that field out of the UI? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of custom programming. And so people would write frameworks where they would wrap their queries and their DMLs in this mm-hmm. whole level of custom Apex that would check for the right level of access. So um, this was a huge pain uh, to develop, to maintain, to create a good user experience, to pass security review, really seems like something that should have been part of the platform from day one, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. The platform just was wide open. People had okay. to implement their own way to handle that. So now there's kind of a quick and dirty way with your SQL queries uh, just to basically say uh, an extra clause, like a where clause or something, but you say like with security enforced. And this mm-hmm. thing will throw an exception if you're querying fields you don't have access to or an object. Oh, okay. S- Sometimes it was, sounds like a simple thing, but it was never there. <laughs> mm. It wasn't It wasn't checking for that the user's access. So that's uh, secure, but it's a bad user experience. I um, see. If okay. you think about a standard page in Salesforce, if you don't have access to a field... The field's just going to gracefully degrade. You'll see a limited view. You, it won't just throw an exception. So they've also introduced that more more control over the experience. And uh, this is this new security namespace, security.stripinaccessible, which allows you to have more control over you ha- how you handle that. So okay. you can run the query and you can get this S object decision back. And the S object, S object access decision will let you see, well, what fields did we remove from that that you're not supposed to see? And what are the fields? What's the data that we actually get to see? And so then you can handle that however you want in very custom ways. So oh. this is, again, maybe like that 80-20 rule where the platform will at least handle all the access checks, but then you get to handle the user experience related to that. Ah, so you just talk about two things. One is this with security enforced, which is the keyword attached to the circle. And another one is when the circle returned the S object, there's a security dot script inaccessible. Another API or something in the Apex yeah, that you uh, can you can get the kind of metadata around the S object, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um uh, you know, it's not again. It's it's a spring twenty thing. So um, okay, we'll get our hands on it and play with it. It's been kind of in pilot and beta so far, but it'll be GA in spring. A lot okay. of the stuff at Dreamforce is not GA yet, so uh, see. it's interesting. See. Now that we're coming out of Dreamforce, mm-hmm. uh, we also have the spring release notes. We can connect the dots and see. Okay, when do I get this stuff for real? <laughs> <laughs> so. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, you know, recently I just heard a new thing called Lightning Out, and my yeah. co- one of my colleagues told me it was in beta for a couple of years, and it was never in GA. And then I realized, okay, th- there were these kind of features that have in beta for many years, and people are testing, and it never went to GA. I don't know if it will ever go to GA, but uh, yeah, I didn't even realize it was in GA. Yeah, I've been 
using it <laughs> okay. on and off for years also. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, good to always check exactly like uh, all the Dreamforce presentations. This looking forward statement, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I heard there's another thing, uh, but has been talked a lot uh, in the past as well is the Salesforce blockchain, right? Yeah. So what things you have learned about Salesforce blockchain? Sure. Well, you know, blockchain is a, one of those buzzword topics, of course. And, mm. you know, it comes down to, uh, is there any value in this besides Bitcoin? And what can I do with this thing? And mm. I don't want to just say the word blockchain to, like, think customers uh, yeah. think I'm a great partner to go with because I use the word blockchain. So, you know, it's, this, this always comes down to getting at the meat of the business value and understanding mm -hmm. how Salesforce has provided this. Yeah. So that was one of my goals for Dreamforce was to really try to figure that out. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I feel pretty good about it. I had some, some great demos and kind of connected the dots with research that I'd done prior. Mm -hmm. And it's looking pretty good. I would say uh, it's very different than, you know, the blockchain that Bitcoin runs on. Okay. This is like an enterprise private blockchain. Okay. And, and I think that one of the key takeaways for me is that the relationships between the people are one of the most important pieces of this. And so to some extent, it's not a technology thing. It's a, it's a people thing. And I think, you know, let's say you're part of, a, of an ecosystem of, you know, your business with some vendors. You kind of have to build a consortium there and talk to your vendors and get agreement on how you're going to build this thing. So you, you almost have to have like this, you know, they actually call there's different partners and there's like some of the partners are called founders and some are just partners that you transact with. So really you want to get that core group of founders for a couple of reasons. Um, I mean, one is if you think about uh, a data model, like you have to get these people to agree on what fields are going to be in that shared database. Mm -hmm. uh, another reason is, um, you know, the, the nodes are sort of, there's like a number of nodes that you'll spin up for like each partner. And ideally, the more nodes, the better, right? That's like how you get uh, sort of a more robust system. Mm -hmm. So is it really a blockchain if it's only one node? It's just more like a, some kind of an immutable ledger at that point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you you, you want to have more of those nodes. So it's never going to be, or at least this, the way it's incarnated right now, it's never going to be this, um, you know, crazy distributed thing where you have like mm -hmm. all these people running nodes on different hardware, even with different software, where mm -hmm. it's totally resilient, impossible to have a 51% attack. And it's not that kind of a thing. What it is, is it's more of a way of agreeing on a, mm -hmm. collaborate in a way where, everybody's kept honest by, you know, you don't trust anybody going into it and you all agree you don't trust each other and that's okay. You don't want to mm. say like, we trust this one person to run our centralized database. Mm. Uh, that's just not the right way to do business because they, anybody could change those values and you would never know. Yeah. So you, you build that. It's almost like an agreement not to trust each other and to all have this, uh, you know, this, this system in place that's going to keep everybody honest. So I think that's mm. the most important piece is to come into it looking at it like that. Okay. For this particular, you know, for the, the Salesforce blockchain offering. Um, but 
but then I think the next piece of the the business value. So sure, it's like uh, it's got its full APIs. You don't even need to use Salesforce to leverage this, mm-hmm. which is great. But let's say you want to use Salesforce. It's actually fully integrated with the platform, and it works pretty much just like a custom object in Salesforce. So you can you know you can relate this thing to the opportunity, and you can say you know when your partner delivers the material the opportunity closes or you can build all that workflow around it so mm-hmm. okay it's definitely blockchain for crm in that sense yeah uh, which is pretty cool and um it's it it has enough geek cred under the hood uh, it has you can actually do like the block explorer you know you can see mm. all the hashes all the timestamps, everything like that so mm. okay. i think it's pretty cool um I you know, but just uh, the word blockchain might be a little bit misleading. It's not the same as a public. You yeah, know, it's it's this enterprise blockchain private. Build your consortium of your, you know, your vendors, your partners, and go into it with the mm. right people and the right discussion. And then I think it can really have the value there. Mm. Yeah, to me, what you just mentioned is that uh, it kind of. Uh, um, grab some features from the public open blockchains, so like a certain mm-hmm. features, and because it's enterprise still, it's kind of private, so it doesn't really have the the wonderful feature like a borderless or censorship resistant or like a neutral. Those things that does not really exist here. So this is more like exactly. a tool, right, for us to, you know, just get the work done and then uh, uh, write down the 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 things uh, into the the stone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And one last thing I still want you to bring me the news is about the Einstein AI. I heard there's also some announcement around that topic. There, There is, um, but I think the general theme for Einstein AI is it's just continually marching down the path of getting all these features into GA. Okay. So I wouldn't say there's like any one announcement that's huge i mean we sort of heard a lot of these things for many years mm-hmm. um you know we've had the unstructured data we've yeah. had uh, a lot of good features with images now it's moving more into voice the voice stuff is getting better oh, okay. so i think probably the next step might be video you know if you've got uh, if you've got the the photo and you've got the audio well a video is just putting the two together and kind of so okay. i think they're just getting into more more of those types of media mm-hmm. use cases rounding out the offering but you know all this stuff, prediction builder, and all these things are just becoming more generally generally available and uh, mm-hmm. more for you know more um, embedded all within the platform. Okay. So I think the main the main theme there is not any one product; it's just more of the same products becoming more generally available, like showing the progress they have done in the past yeah. years. Yeah, and that, that's great. Mm. Do you know in the U.S. are there a lot of customers really eagerly looking forward to the Einstein AI? I don't run into them a lot, and maybe that's part of the problem is, um, you know, the general general availability, uh, okay, and, and also to some extent the pricing, and okay. you know they're kind of related because it's generally what we see is when things go GA, then over time the price also goes down. So I think it's been more of the early adopters using this stuff. Okay. And so the 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 cool thing is when Salesforce builds this AI, mm-hmm. uh, and and it is generally available, it 
pretty quickly moves from the early adopters into the majority because Salesforce is so easy to use. They've got mm-hmm. this huge customer base. When they turn something on and they make it easy and the price is okay, uh, everybody's going to start using it. So I think you'll see the delayed and large adoption on this one. That's cool. Thanks a lot, yeah. Daniel. It was really great talking to you. So you shared a lot of great news from the Dreamforce and bringing it to our podcast. It was really great chatting with you. Oh, thank you, Xi. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> so see you next time, Daniel. Okay. Bye-bye.